Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. Before a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, joining us through online affiliates around the world, thanks to our podcast, we're glad you all could be with us as well. Our next guest is releasing a book just in time for September, but I'm excited to talk to her now before her schedule gets extra crazy. We're excited to welcome author Jessica Hendry Nelson to our broadcast. Her new book is a powerful when it's called Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief. We'll talk to Jessica not only about the reflections of her life, what it's been like for her to think about life and loss and all of the things that happen to us in between, but also what it's like for her to kind of write a book like this. It only deals with, I think, very personal issues, but I think things that we can all relate to. If you guys are not staying connected with Jessica, we will let you guys know where to find her, where you can stay connected with her, as well as how you can pre-order your copy of the book. Jessica, thank you again for the time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Cyrus. I'm happy to be here. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. Look, we're connected on Instagram, so we're basically family at this point. So cause that's the way <laughs> exactly. these things go uh, these days. <laughs> Look, as I mentioned, the, the book is coming out in early September, Jessica, but already the buzz is out there. Talk to us about that. What has it been like for you to see the early responses to Joy? Uh, well, that it's always a thrill, and it's always, you know, it's, it's always nerve-wracking, but, um, you know, you always hope for the best, and, and so it's been exciting to see. You know, I think that the thing that is so interesting to me, and I love the title of the book, Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief, because it kind of goes through how topsy-turvy, ups and up and down life can be, uh, Jessica, and I think how we kind of have to either – settle into the ride and just be prepared and kind of just take it as it comes. Or we can understand how so many people then, because of those ups and downs, um, kind of give up. What has it been like for you to kind of think about your own resiliency in all of this and how throughout the different things you've been through, you know, growing up and as an adult, how you've been able to still be here and to be able to learn from life? Well, one of the themes of the book, you know, is, is wonder and um, I, you know, I think part of what I'm writing about is living with anticipatory grief. And so that was, you know, the, the anticipatory grief of living with my father who was, uh, um, an alcoholic and, and eventually died when I was 17. Um, and then my brother who is, you know, the, one of the lights of my life and is, uh, still, you know, struggles with addiction. And so, you know, for the last 20 years. So one of the things that I have practiced, um, I think, is is channeling into wonder as a as a coping mechanism. And for me, that means this conflation of terror and awe, or love and grief, and you know that those those states of being can coexist. And in fact, like opposites, like juxtapositions, they highlight one another. And so. Um, for whatever reason, you know, that's been the way that I've I've dealt with uh, the fear of his loss, which you know, anticipatory grief is in some ways, in my experience, has been even more powerful and harrowing um, than 
than the actual grief experience, you know, because it's this constant state, heightened state of awareness, of alertness, of anxiety, sure, but also of love. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying in the book and in life, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the beauty in the crevices between that cloud of anticipatory grief in the, in the holes. And, um, that's a, that that is resilience to me. That's my resilience, I think. Um, but it's also to me feels like a practice. It's something you work at, and um, and and you know finding, you know going out in search of that. Um, I had a novelist friend say to me once, you know, if you go out looking for beauty, you'll find it everywhere. And I think that's the way I try to move through the world. But you know, especially as a writer, that's that's. We're, you know, writers are, are watchers, we're, we're seekers, we're, you know, people who are always um, looking for small moments of, of astonishment in the everyday. And that's, that's what I try to practice as a way to, to survive it, but also as a way to make art out of it. Yeah. There, there's a lot of honesty in this book, Jessica, and I have to say going into it, I didn't realize exactly how many layers that there are because there are, of course, the, the layers of self-identity and being okay with yeah. just being who you are and not feeling like you have to put labels on things, which I think you know, is very relevant to the world that we kind of live in today. But there also, it, it was interesting hearing you just talk now because you talked about that heightened state. You seem to be a person that seems to, I mean, of course, you're an author, so you would do this anyway. You're able to create stories very easily about what will happen, you know, whether they've happened or not. You know, <laughs> you know I love that because, you know, even as you talk about Jack in the book, right, and you're, you're talking about all these things, all, all, even down to the one-eyed dog, yeah? <laughs> you know, and, and I and I think so. And then you're like, okay, then you're pulling us back. Okay, well that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you know, um, what what was that like for you, Jessica? To kind of just like we're laughing about it now. What was it like for you to reflect on the fact how you're able to enjoy a moment and then be able to create a whole life around that? You know, that has not yet happened, but thinking about the what ifs of. Um, well, I think that's, that's storytelling, you know, that's narrativization to me. You know, I think we're always, yeah. with Joan Didion's famous line, we tell ourselves, tell ourselves stories in order to live. Um, and so, you know, in the process of essay writing, and this is, you know, this is what I try to impart to my students too, um, as a teacher of creative writing, you know, that we're always moving backward and forward in time, you know, that as we move through the world, you know, the way that we tell stories is, not necessarily chronological, you know, our brains are very digressive, they're associative, you know, and so, you know, we make connections every day that aren't necessarily linear, um, and that's how we create stories out of, out of our experiences, and it's how we move through the world, you know, we have to have a kind of, um, you know, dimensional consciousness in order to, to move in the world, so every day when we wake up, you know, we are retelling ourselves the stories of who we are. You know, we do this pretty yeah. automatically. But when you sit down to do it on the page, it becomes a much more uh, conscious, you know, and specific effort. So, um, so as I, you know, as I'm doing writing personal narrative, part of that is pulling, you know, moving into the past, moving into the future, and and digging into the current moment. You know, and you're. Yeah. 
when you're writing personal narrative, you're tapping into all of those uh, levels, you know, all of those levels of consciousness because you're the writer sitting there at the page, but you're also the human being who has experienced, you know, the stories that you're, that you're reading. And then you're also somebody who in many, you know, in many cases you are aware of the future, you know, you're aware of the future that existed beyond the page, right? So you're, you know, you have to channel into all of those states of consciousness in order to create a cohesive narrative on the page that's going to make sense for a reader. Um, but it does require a kind of like nimble, nimbleness, and you do become something of a time traveler, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's part of the fun of it. You know, that's part of the it's part of why I love creative nonfiction is it's it becomes like a puzzle, and yeah. um, and and writing an essay is is in part like solving a puzzle. How do I put these pieces together that create you know a, a sort of logic, but also a real emotional resonance, but, you know, it's not necessarily the story chronologically. You know, it's the story as you experienced it intellectually, emotionally. Yeah. But that brings up an interesting question then, Jessica, and I'm sure our audience, again, can relate to this part, because I think in hearing you talk, and I was thinking about as you were speaking just now, that a lot of times that's why we have the angst in our lives, you know, because we are thinking about what may be or what may not be or what's going to happen if this happens or if this doesn't happen. And it kind of goes to that anticipation you were speaking about earlier. But mm-hmm. what I wanted to ask you was based on that, do you see that as – because I'm thinking about it now, honestly, as you're talking, as two different things. It, as, a, as a writer, I can definitely see being a blessing, but in life, mm-hmm. I'm wondering <laughs> – do you see it that way? So do you see do you see that ability if you're kind of stepping outside of yourself of taking off the author hat, the writer hat? Do you see that as a blessing or a curse? That's a really good question, Cyrus. I I mean, I, I in some ways it's inevitable, especially if, you know, for for those of us who have lived with any sort of anticipatory grief, which I think is really all of us. Um, you know, but in its more acute form, you know, when you have a loved one who has, you know, it suffers with substance use disorder, for example, or, you know, any sort of terminal condition, um, you know, that is heightened and it becomes more acute. And so, you you know, you can't necessarily avoid that kind of thinking, you know, it's just, it comes with the territory, um, you know, with, my brother, for example, you know, there's usually, I mean, addiction is a cycle. And so when he's using, you know, there is, um, it feels as if any moment I could get that phone call. And, and that's because that's true. You know, I could at any moment get that horrible phone call that he hasn't made it. And so I can't avoid, I can't avoid that as a, as his sister. I can't, you know, if I could control his addiction, I would. Um, yeah. But, but I certainly can't. So, you know, you just, you know, every time the phone rings, it's, you know, a heart clench um, mm-hmm. during those periods when he's, when he's using. So I, I don't, I don't get to avoid that, but I do get to decide how to channel that energy, how to channel that anxiety. And you're right. It is, you know, a bit of a detriment sometimes. I mean, it's not an enjoyable experience to, you know, gasp every time the phone rings because you don't know yeah. if you're getting, you know, the worst, the worst news. Um, 
but you know that's why I think I found wonder as a kind of coping mechanism like paying attention is natural to me as a writer and so you know I can go out which I talk about in the book like I can you know I can take walks and I can tell stories and I can do all of these things that to me become a kind of you know in a way a kind of meditative practice that is part it's part therapeutic it's part creative it's part art making and try to channel that energy into just what I see in the world um, rather than you know that constant speculation that comes with anticipatory grief what if what if what if Um, and you know to do that is yeah probably a matter of survival in a lot of ways I don't think we're meant to to live with this you know constant state of heightened anxiety Um, it's not really sustainable so I could take medication or I could, you know, which is a perfectly reasonable response for some reason. Yeah. Or I can make art. You know, I can make art out of it. I can can try to pay attention. I can try to find joy. That's a big part of what I try to do is, you know, to to look for joy, look for beauty, like my friend said. And you do find it everywhere if you pay attention. Yeah, you you mentioned your brother, and I hesitated whether I was going to bring up Eric or not, um, Jessica. Mm-hmm. So I'll just ask one question about him. But I want to say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're speaking with author Jessica Henry Nelson today. She's celebrating the release of her upcoming book. It's called Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief. It's available in September, but you guys can go ahead and pre-order it now, both the the, the uh, paperback or, of course, the Kindle edition. Um, the information, if you guys are joining us via the podcast, is in the notes for the show. If you guys are joining us on the radio side, it's on our Facebook page. But there is a very poignant and I think relatable again um, episode that you share in the book. Jessica, and when I read it, I made a note of it because I knew it was something if the opportunity presented itself, I would ask you about. And it's a conversation with your mother and you about Eric. And you kind mm-hmm. of talk about the what ifs, right? And right. the part of the conversation that really struck me was you whispering, would it be better? and her asking if he died, and you saying, yeah, "Yeah," and then the answer, maybe. Um, I think this whole idea of the unknown kind of shows itself in that, and I think so many people, Jessica, quite honestly, can relate to that, but I'm curious, what was it like for you reflecting on that conversation? You know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that was the hardest scene in the whole book to write, and um, it was also maybe the most honest moment of, of the book, um, and it's something that I've, you know, I've felt shame about, but also, you know, recognizes a deeply true response to, you know, the trauma of living, you know, with, with someone with substance use disorder who, you know, it's a constant, um, you know, it, it can be a kind of terror and a terrorization. Um, and especially for, for my mother, um, who, you know, has, has been a supporter forever, of course. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was a difficult scene to write, but I felt it was really important. I felt it was important to, to the book, and it felt like a kind of crux moment. Even to admit that to myself um, yeah. was, was hard. And I think once, once I realized, you know, that how important that, that moment was, um, you know, I realized it had to be in the book. Yeah. You know, because yeah. because it because it is I think something that 
that probably people can relate to. Yeah. Well, this is not, of course, I mean, your first time having to answer questions from strangers like you're doing now with me, Jessica. You've had other releases. Does this one feel different to you? This was the hardest book I, I, you know, I've written, and it took a very long time. And I think um, the so it, in that way, it does feel different. Uh, it feels different because, you know, I was working through questions in the moment, and that was part of my essay writing process. Is you know, is always you know, the essay to me is a place to ask questions, not necessarily to find answers, but to to try to reframe those questions in in new ways. Um, and so this this book was, I think, it was more, um, it was it was an exercise in that way that felt really challenging because I was living it and I was writing about it and the living changes and so the essays change. And I was also asking questions about, you know, the creative imperative and, you know, part of, part of one of the, part of the driver of the book is deciding, you know, it, if I wanted to stay in my marriage, which, you know, I'd been with Jack for 15 years. Um, and did I want to stay in that and, and not have a child because he didn't want to have a child and we were getting, you know, up into our thirties and time was, you know, that window was closing in on, on me as it does. And, um, and I was, I had a lot of ambivalence around that and I had to figure that out. You know, if, if leaving this marriage for the opportunity of motherhood was something that I wanted to do, was a choice I wanted to make. Um, and ultimately that, you know, he made that choice. He, you know, he made the choice for us. And I'm really grateful that he did, you know, in hindsight. But of course it was, it was extremely difficult. And so writing these essays about, you know, the creative imperative and what it means to make things and asking myself questions like, could I, could I, be satisfied with a life of art making um, as would that fulfill that creative urgency that I felt or did I, did I need to be a mother in order to fulfill that? And I didn't know the answers to that. So, you know, approaching the page with those really urgent questions was um, such a challenge and, and, and really ultimately, you know, something I'm so proud of because, you know, I, I made this book out of it and, uh, and that's always such a, a thrill, but yeah, it does feel different in that, in that sense. It felt, it feels harder one in a way. Again, going to how we began the conversation, Jessica, that's why I said I think there's so many layers that people will get something out of it, whether you're talking about dealing with, of course, grief of losing a loved one, but also the the close of a chapter. We all can relate to that, right, right? and what that looks like, and the anticipation of the what-ifs of life, not knowing the, the uncertainty, the things that are outside our control. One of the conversations you've had in the book that was so interesting, and and I think it's um, – I'm a single guy, so I can talk – a little bit more liberally about this, I think. But I love the fact that you do talk about we sometimes expect so much of our partners. Um, but it also goes to a, a bigger issue of the question I don't think anyone can really answer, and that is can you have everything all at once? And what does that look right. like, right? right. Um, and I, and, yeah, and I, I think it's, those are all very 
real questions to ponder. They're, they're real things for people to think about as they're going through their lives. And even thinking about what wholeness looks like, I think you addressed that in a really beautiful way in the book. What does that look like for you? Because I think it's a very personal thing. So my question to you as we wrap up here is, what is your hope? As people read Joy Rides Through the Tunnel of Grief, Jessica, yes, it talks about grief, but so much more. What do you hope they take away from it? Well, I, I mean, you know, I think what will be – what I'm hoping people can relate to is, you know, this experience of, um, you know, wanting to live all these different shades of living. And then as you get older, of course, you know, all, certain doors start to close and certain choices are made. And you lose that sense of, you know, I have all this time. I have infinite time that we have in youth. <laughs> And um, and we start to realize that our choices have real consequences, and, and you know we don't get to live every shade of living. Um, but what we can do is um, be capacious in that living. And so, you know, it is about grief, but there's also something I hope heartening about the book um, and encouraging. And you know, going through divorce is, is one of our most profound grief experiences. Um, and I think it's right under like death of a loved one say. So, um, but you know, there's really, there's real joy to be found in, in moving through grief, you know, in moving through grief and thinking of it as a practice through which we can cultivate our own attention and even joy. Um, so I hope that it encourages you know, people to pay attention and to find that joy in small everyday moments. You know, there's something, um, I think we think of grief and struggle as life's most profound moments that they're somehow more worthy of art than experiences of joy. And I think that's a mistake that I think we can, you know, if we pay attention, we can create art out of, you know, even everyday joy. You know, it's it's about learning to find you know, to harness that attention and find uh, ways to express it that are not free of tension necessarily, not free of pain, but embrace all of them, you know, and, uh, and we can make beautiful art out of, out of that, out of joy experiences. And then that's really you know, a life-sustaining practice for all of us. You know, we read in order to learn how to live. And if we can see our artists celebrating joy, uh, that's, that's a that's that's a life sustaining practice. Yeah, such a great point, and a lot of great things for our audience to think about. Again, remember when Jessica Hendry Nelson has been our guest. Joy rides through the tunnel of grief is the new book. Go ahead and pre-order it for yourselves today. Through our friends at Amazon.com. And Jessica, let our audience know how can they stay connected with you. So um, I'm on Instagram. It's J H Nelson one two seven is my handle. And uh, my website is jessicahnelson.com. All right. Well, Jessica, congratulations to you again. I know we'll be staying connected online and looking forward to our next conversation together. Thank you so much, Cyrus. I really appreciate it. And more than welcome. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webster. As always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Now let's go make today amazing. Take care.